Welcome to Politically Pissed, the podcast that wants to inform you the Grand Slam of Darts this week was interrupted by the Grand Slam of Farts. Welcome to Politically Pissed. My name is Saeed Charbini, and I'm here with my co-host, Eris. Hey, what's up? We couldn't be joined tonight by Katya because she had an emergency. She couldn't make it. But we do have a special guest here. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Jacob, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I'm Jacob LeBure. I'm a member of city council in Lakewood, Colorado, representing Jeffco. Holla. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, thanks for inviting me. Excited to be here. We're, we're excited that you're here from Jeffco because we have a few questions about Jeffco and stuff like that. But first, I want to start out with uh, when did you start getting involved in Colorado politics? It was probably about 16, 17 years ago. It's been quite a while. I how old, a, how uh, old are you now? I'm 31. Okay. So half your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I was pretty involved with uh, referendum C&D when that was going on. I uh, sort of grew up in Douglas County. Bill Winter was running for Congress. I think it was 2006. It's all a little hazy, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so I was volunteering a lot on his campaign and uh, hosting events and you know helping them with uh, raising dollars and all that. So that's the first campaign I was really involved with, but and done some other stuff before that, but that was sort of my main introduction to politics. What positions have you held in the political world prior to being a city council member? A lot of sort of different party positions and then just sort of campaign staff positions. Any notable campaigns? Yeah, I did a little bit with Andrew Romanoff's campaign. Uh, obviously, I knew him through referendum C&D when that was going on. Which Romanoff campaign? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a list of them that's probably going to keep growing. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Senate, his Senate campaign. That would have been 2010 or 2012? Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> It's been a long road. I don't know. Well, I, I got started with Andrew Romanoff in the 2014 when he was running for uh, U.S. House of Rep. Okay. So that's where I met him, and he was a pretty cool guy. What, what was your thoughts on him? Yeah, no, Andrew's a great guy. Uh, I actually knew him because one of my high school teachers was like his next-door neighbor. She knew I had an interest in politics, and I was like listening to NPR, and I had a job like driving this uh, guy around, and we just like listened to the news as I was like driving him back and forth to work and to his house. <laughs> And uh, so that sort of piqued my interest. And then, you know, some of my teachers and whatnot had, you know, heard about this. And uh, one of them was like, oh, yeah, you should meet my neighbor. His name's Andrew. <laughs> so that was, uh, it was a good it was a good place to start in politics, I think. No, no, no. no I was going to bring up something about, you know, starting politics and failed campaigns being a bad thing. But <laughs> <laughs> That's the rumor, yeah. What was your day job before running for office? <clears throat> Um, I've been a, a city employee with Denver for the last five or six years. Uh, before that, I worked contracting with Denver for about five years. So I've been working for the city of Denver for the last 10, 11 years. So you still you say you still work for Denver? Yeah, I still do. So being a city council member is not a full-time gig? Yeah, not, not by pay anyway. <laughs> still spend a lot of time on it though, huh? Yeah, I'm constantly working. I mean, we always have people who are you know, reaching out and trying to have problems addressed. And we're always having committee meetings and community forums and, you know, so it kind of never ends, but, but yeah, it's technically a part-time job. I have to ask, since you are um, a city council member and you know, it shouldn't be necessarily a part-time job. Have you thought about any different reforms that would lead to uh, increasing pay for city council members, making it more formal and full-time? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's always a, touchy subject obviously people have a i think a concern about sort of paid people to be in the political process i think we all know that if you've been involved with the political process at all we actually brought it up on our last podcast Uh, i used to have friends that were like they shouldn't pay them anything if they're in government well that's just not how it's going to work because you don't get really qualified people or you get people that look out for their own interests at that point because they have the money to yeah, and and you know, and I haven't drawn a hard line um, in Lakewood about this, but I will say that a lot of what I think people want out of politics is, to a certain extent, to their for their interests to be served. You know, I think that can be difficult to have if you don't have 
your political leaders at the table because they can't afford to be there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, especially at the local level, you see that with like, you know, staff lead uh, a lot of the discussions and a lot of the policy shifts and all that. So if someone can't be there full time or they can't be in the room or they can't be at all the meetings because, you know, they have a, a, a sort of separate life than being in the governance or the leadership role, then, you know, other people are going to be making those decisions and those people are not elected leaders. So kind of depends on what you want. If you hope that politics will shift the direction of the way the city or government or state or whatever it is, if you want your politics and your interests to change based on an election, then you need to also have those leaders at the table to help make those reforms happen. So you're in Lakewood. Um, Can you tell us about how that's changed over the years and how that has, you know, led to uh, changes within your position? Have, have you lived there your whole life in Lakewood, or no? I've uh, I've lived in Lakewood for about six years. Okay. Um, you know, before that I lived in Denver, but basically grew up in Douglas County. Um, I'm not going to tell you where I was born because it just doesn't play well politically. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I need to know. <laughs> All right, don't hold it against me, anybody listening. But I was born in Texas. See, that's what the people want to build the wall against. You know, Texas and California, um, right. we check their driver's licenses at the wall and turn them away. But back to your question about the whole what's going on in your neighborhood. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Lakewood is changing. Um, and I think that's true of, well, it's true of Colorado. It's true of the metro area. But there's obviously a lot of pressures with development, with growth, and with change. And I think you always see that, but I, I – culture has changed a little bit too i mean lakewood is a city that's always been able to sort of sprawl westward well you know now it's butted up against the rocky mountains now it's becoming an infill city so that dynamic's changing you know before the 60s it was unincorporated jeffco Um, they incorporated 50 years ago starting next year and now it's becoming an infill city and you're starting to see you know more density and you're starting just to see a sort of different culture because of that obviously so i think there those are the pressures that exist now and that makes the politics different than it probably ever has been before because now people are they're wanting a more active government they're wanting people to hold accountable to their issues and they want you know their voice heard and i i think you're starting to see that in the elections you know we had a sort of a change election in 2017 where a lot of sort of anti-growth uh you know that's the way they cast it but the anti-growth section basically you know took over council and i you know that's based on i think the active voters in lakewood the people who were really involved you know wanted to see a change from what was occurring before you had sort of a city government that didn't have to be super involved in these kind of decisions because things just kind of happened automatically there's a framework the zoning's in place you know things just sort of develop and grew but now you're starting to see a shift well we had talked about it before where you said that uh, it's not a full-time job. But me and Eris had a conversation before you got here about whether it was a full-time job or not because it is in the metro area. It's a big place. Like you said, it's filling in. Uh, do you think it's going to be switching to where city council could be a full-time job? You know, I think it's all based on the politics. Really, it's, you know, what kind of leadership do you want? It's the fifth largest city in Colorado. What are the boundaries of it again, if you can remind me? Yeah, I, mean, it's- I know you said the Rocky Mountains, but inside yeah it's adjacent to the whole west side of denver from basically colfax and sheridan you know down to i can't tell you what southeast street but <laughs> and then it goes all the way to uh yeah. yeah the west side you know close to to morrison and then goes up north uh west to sort of golden area it's a pretty big spot yeah, yeah. No, and it's one of those big places where um, when I finally get priced out of Denver, I'm moving to <laughs> until, you know, I get priced out of there, too. Well, say, how is the pricing there compared to Denver now? You know, it's more affordable. I think that's why people are, are moving out there. And I think, yeah, I think it's the same reason you're seeing people move out east towards Aurora and people moving out north towards Thornton. And, you know, it's just sort Nobody's of... Nobody's moving to Thornton. <laughs> let, let, let's uh, dispel right. that now. <laughs> But, I mean, uh, yeah, no, there's a lot of displacement from the city into the outer areas and stuff like that. And, I mean, have you guys had to deal with overflow of maybe, like, homeless population or anything like that? Like, Yeah, and, and, you know, when I was running, too, I sort of did, like, an internal poll and asked everybody who I spoke with just sort of, you know, what were your main issues? Um, you know, what are your biggest concerns? And, you know, number one and number two typically were development, growth, and then public safety. 
And, you know, when you actually dig in on some of those questions, you know, you sort of unpackage the public safety piece a little bit. You know, more often than not, it was we're worried about homelessness. Yeah. I think that's not only a dynamic of just sort of the growing homeless issue in the Denver metro area, but also a sort of lack of support or investment in addressing that issue in Colorado. <laughs> Um, Extreme lack of that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then also, uh, you know, a sort of urbanization uh, shift, too. I mean, if if you go right now to Colfax and Sheridan, you'll start seeing those new, you know, houses and new buildings being built and mixed-use developments and all the growth that's happening in Denver from Rhino to... um, Are they affordable or anything? Or is it just the expensive areas to live now? I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's obviously more expensive than what it was yeah. um you know a 600 square foot house that used to be <laughs> that people bought for you know $150,000 and now it's 350 or 400 or 5 or whatever it is yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's more expensive in that sense but i mean and i also assume it's more affordable than a lot of things that are in you know denver proper um since you mentioned growth talking about education and how you've uh <laughs> how you've uh, kind of addressed the issues with um you know, growing school populations. I'm assuming that the school populations are more diverse, just like a lot of the other metro area schools than they have been in the past. Well, one of the things that we're focusing on a lot of is taking a look at the fee structure for developments, because, uh, you know, when people build, uh, a lot of those a lot of those fees end up having sort of the biggest impact on uh, education. But, you know, the city's not super involved with the education piece. Jeffco School Board is obviously... Well, that's the big one in the you know, <laughs> talk that. about too is the Jeffco <laughs> School Board. I know there's not much you can do from the city council angle, but can you tell us a little bit about what you've seen with the Jeffco School Board? Things that they're doing. I mean, there's been student walkouts. They had a recall not too long ago. Mm-hmm. It's been pretty contentious, and I know education is something important to you. You were on the Metro State School Board and stuff like that. Yeah, too, but yeah, the board of trustees. So I mean, I know you've done a lot with education. What have you seen them do out there that you like, you don't like, stuff well, like that? Well, kudos to the new board, first yeah. of all. Um, they have a great board. I think they're really leading by example, and they're really tackling some of the big issues for education. I mean, they took on a ballot initiative this year, and they got both passed. Well, you barely passed them, though, didn't they? They did or barely was, pass them, yeah. but, you know. They passed. <laughs> passing <laughs> is passing. Yeah. Yes. A win's a win, and you never question it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's people want you to use their money responsibly, and I understand that. And, you know, and then you also see rising house prices. That has an impact on your property tax. And that's what some of these school increases are, are put upon uh, on your property tax. So that has an impact on everybody, on, you know, whether you're a renter or an owner. Those, you know, costs come down to the consumer. And so I understand people wanting you to be skillful with their with their tax dollars. So I think those votes are always going to be challenging, but at the same time, I think the school district made a pretty compelling argument that there's a need and that taxing, well, that tax increase and then the bonds uh, subsequent to that are going to make an impact and they're going to fix a lot of schools and they're, you know, people's kids are going to be uh, better educated. So I think, you know, I was a big supporter of it. You know, I helped pin a article supporting it in the paper in Lakewood and uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad it happened and we had and I think the reason it happened is because there's a lot of great leadership at the Jefferson County School Board okay we talked about education which you really can't do anything about um, <laughs> what can you do things about like what what is, what is your platform in Lakewood to help the city yeah there's a lot going on and there's no easy answers for a lot of it but you know one of the big things we did this year is we did get a debrucing measure passed in lakewood a what a debrucing measure uh, it's basically a, a what <laughs> l- l- let's go back to this um debrucing yeah are we trying to are you talking about the Tabor and gallagher or? yeah Tabor. okay oh. everybody's favorite topic yeah even though everybody keeps telling me that I hadn't uh, heard referred to as debrucing yet. No, <laughs> I was like going back to the whole Jim Carrey movie, Bruce Almighty. Like, <laughs> we're just getting rid of Jim Carrey out of the state. Okay, <laughs> I like Jim, yeah. but uh, but yeah. So tell us about this debrucing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> man, you guys threw me off. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, we uh, we did a measure to temporarily uh, suspend Tabor um, for. Seven and a half, wait, seven years, I believe. Um, How? How? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, well, we sent it to the voters. So we actually uh, got a majority the on... one way you could do that, probably, yeah. Yeah, we sent it. To, and a lot of... Actually, frankly, a lot of the cities have. Yeah. And th- that's the other thing, is people don't necessarily think of... You know, when you hear Tabor, most people are thinking in terms of the state. Especially if you are in Denver, uh, you know, you don't think about it because Denver <laughs> de-bruised <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. Um, See, this is why I've never heard of it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no idea. Yeah, so, you know, frankly, I believe every city in Jefferson County, except for Littleton and Lakewood, before this year also has already uh deep roost and permanently it's it's an exciting time for lakewood in that sense because we're going to be able to put more investment into you know sort of the priorities that a lot of people have suggested are their main priorities in lakewood which is three major section uh three major components which is just investing more in our infrastructure investing more in our parks and open space and also uh you know supporting our our police department public safety professionals so the money uh, at least for this year would be divided up most of the money i forgot the exact percentage but we're gonna have eight million dollars this year it's gonna go towards parks and open space and then we're gonna uh, spend two million on infrastructure and then uh, another two million on public safety so, um, do you want to start with the police stuff? Or? Well, first, for me, I was thinking about how much is that an increase uh, from what you had originally before the vote? As far as the total amount? or Yeah, for, yeah. as far as the total amount. Would... Well, uh, so it's additional $12, 13000000 million this so, year. So that the eight two two was additional to what was already there. Right. What was already there before, I think. Oh, asking. okay, I yeah. see. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure on what our... And so it's not specifically as far as the uh, parks and open space. I don't know uh, if we have a specific line item for parks and open space. Mm-hmm. We do for our parks department, and then they sort of you know look for investments and space or whatever. But so this money is specifically for acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So essentially, no money for parks and open space acquisitions. But now we have eight and a half million dollars specifically for that. Okay. As far as the police department, it represents about thirty percent of our uh, local budget. You know, and and this is a little bit different because this is not really for additional agents. It's really for you know equipment, needed equipment for the police department. So light bars on the police cars, okay. or uh, you know bulletproof vests, well, that I'm sort saying, of thing. Gonna, you guys gonna start buying tanks and stuff too? Or oh. What are we looking to spend this on? Like <laughs> or, is this surplus military gear that you're gonna get, or is it just light bars on top of cars? Or uh, right now, it's light bars on top of cars. <laughs> I love being able to see the cops more. So if you want to make them more visible like that, I'm yeah. happy with that. But what about body cameras, all the other things that we've seen uh, police departments try to move towards um, in order to, you know, um, yeah. increase public safety? Yeah. Well, we don't have a, uh, you know, we don't have a specific policy yet to sort of shift towards body cameras and, and, and those things. You know, I now have to ask why not. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, maybe that's something that we should be looking at. I mean, I personally think that it benefits the police department as much as it benefits the public uh, for everybody to be transparent and know what what happened. And uh, obviously it helps with oversight. But, you know, there just hasn't been a movement in Lakewood for that yet. You know, I assume assume it's coming. (laughs) And, you know, that's something I'd be interested in in taking a look at. And, and, you know, I imagine a lot of the – the pushback is probably the expense and well it sounds like you give them a couple million dollars so yeah yeah i don't think cameras cost that much <laughs> yeah well i mean as far as like you know hard drives and all that other stuff i i don't know i haven't i haven't been a part of those conversations as of yet but yeah maybe maybe that's something down the road uh oh there's one other thing i did want to talk to you about denver had brought up safe injection sites how does lakewood feel about that well, I mean, I don't want to speak for all of well, like just for yourself, like in the general <laughs> sense of like you're a city council member. So yeah, no, I think. Uh, well, I'm just kidding. I'm happy to speak on behalf of Lakewood here. <laughs> I can tell you, I don't think the votes are there right now to support something like that. We should always be looking at, and this this goes for the you know the sort of body camera discussion we, that we're mentioning. I'm always open to looking at anything that will you know enhance community safety or you know help safeguard people who are uh, dealing with with challenges you know just making and perfecting our our society so i'm always open to looking into those things i've gone another direction as far as what i've spent my time on this last year but you know it is always inspiring to see innovative and creative policies happening 
you know, anywhere around the country. And I think Denver has done a lot of good things and sort of leading the way that, you know, cities like Lakewood have been able to look to and say, you know, that's innovative, that's interesting, that looks different than a lot of things I've seen. You know, we can look around the country and see a lot of these type of examples. And, and I've used those type of examples on a lot of different, you know, policy proposals and, you know, to sort of enhance Lakewood. You know, Boulder, for example, they did a lot of campaign finance reform. Denver's doing a lot of that right now. You know, this whole last year, I spent a lot of time doing campaign finance reform in Lakewood. So it's not so expensive. We might be able to, you know, level the playing field a little bit and, and help get more people involved in the political process. Those are some of the things I've done in the last year. And, you know, and I think cities like Boulder, for example, taking that on helped, you know, sort of chart a course for our own city on, you know, what we might be able to do better. I mean, let's not give too much credit to Boulder. Right? <laughs> I agree um, with that. They will take that themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> but can you talk a, lot, a little bit more about um, what proposed changes that you have for Lakewood? Yeah. Um, well, we did quite a bit of stuff this year. One of the things we did was uh, we worked on increasing some of the developer fees to help buy parks and open space and help ease some of the tension with some of the development uh, issues. We helped fund uh, our sort of largest serving uh, homeless organization in Jefferson County. They were dealing with some financial struggles this year, and uh, we helped you know, shore up some of their uh, their issues and raise money for them. So that that was a big issue for me. So I was happy to work on that. Worked a lot on economic development issues. You know, there's a lot of struggles with uh, development financing for people to grow their businesses and you know, in places like Sheridan and Colfax, that's why you see a lot of the blight and infrastructure problems that they have over there, because obviously it's a it's a funding issue, and because the infrastructure is not in place for people to get certain types of financing, so we spent a lot of time on that this year. For example, people don't know this, but Colfax used to have floodplain, a natural floodplain that went, you know, near Colfax. I don't know. Yeah. Back in the old days, they didn't really think much about that, and they just filled it up with dirt. <laughs> and um, and so now, yeah, and and now a lot of Colfax, West Colfax, is in the floodplain. Well, because of that, they can't get a lot of financing to build, you know, businesses or or put new apartments or hotels or you know whatever on that major corridor. So that obviously has an impact on you know its ability to be a successful commercial corridor. That's also why you don't see as much development and growth out there. You know, one of the things that a previous council actually did was raise uh, our stormwater drainage fee. And that's also had some consternation in the community because some people obviously don't want to pay more for that. You know, I think in the long term, this will really help in getting, you know, more apartments, more condos, more townhomes, more, you know, mixed use developments out there that could help alleviate some of the pressure points that you have with um, affordability and, and things like that. Is there a train line coming through there at all or anything like that? I mean, I'm sure buses service the area, but yeah, I mean, well, is, is that where the G line is going to go through? Well, the West Near Line, there? West Line, sorry, West Lines go through there. Yeah. yeah, the West Line goes right through. Oh, that's another thing. I mean, you know, a lot of people might not have known when they bought a home, but that used to be an old train line, mm-hmm. and so uh, when they got rid of the the train that went through there, RTD bought it up because it just made sense. <laughs> it's yeah. a straight line <laughs> right through the city. And uh, a lot of people moved next to that and, you know, weren't expecting to see what they eventually saw, which was a train going right next to their house making noise. And, and Do you guys still have to deal with the horns, too, or no? I, didn't um, think, I hadn't heard They have, like, one. a bell. A bell? <laughs> yeah. I actually live right by one. I mean, I live pretty well, close to a horn. We were just hearing the horn yeah. again over here. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. get the giant horn. I feel like a bell would be, right yeah. yeah. I feel like a bell would be great. Yeah, just a little bit of ringing. Yeah, we should talk to our commercial, uh, or our, uh, got to talk to our congressional representatives, get rid of the horn. But I asked about the train because you talked about development of the area and building up mixed use and affordable housing maybe or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, public transit through there would be a great help to that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the West Line goes pretty much down Colfax, doesn't it? for the most part it does yeah yeah so i mean that right there would be a great link for people to be able to have affordable housing that's quick transport into the city i mean is that something you're trying to push through there yeah i mean there's been a big move for more trans-oriented development uh generally but that's also the sort of pain point in a lot of the politics there is that some people don't want that (laughs) you know you have their luxury townhomes (laughs) well you've had a lot of people who uh you know 
I wouldn't say luxury townhomes is something that you've seen on uh, near Colfax, but you've seen a lot of <laughs> single-family homes that you know now they might be next to a six-story building. And how do you uh, ease the tension between those two? You know, those two things. And that's one of the things that I actually ran on was, you know, a lot of people think you have to cast two different groups. You're either pro-growth or anti-growth. I basically ran on saying, well, look, we don't have to be either or. We can do both. Like we can protect the community and the character of the neighborhoods, but at the same time, we also need to realize that, you know, there are real needs in the community and there's a need to, you know, have a strong and vibrant commercial corridor. There's a need to have, you know, a strong economy. Uh, there's a need to have uh, some density and more ecological and environmentally friendly, you know, buildings and developments. And, you know, you can't have that if if you're not willing to try to balance the two out. And, you know, and we've seen communities do that, just uh, just sort of shut shut their doors and and not allow anybody else in. And and we know what happens: prices rise, people get cut out, they're not able to, to live, or they're you know living in you know, strange circumstances, whether it's Five you know behind someone's house, house or yeah. you know. And you know, and I remember it wasn't too long ago for me when the economy uh, tanked, and you know my friends were living in some of the backyards of my other friends houses and tents so <laughs> it's not an, uh, you know well and part of that leads to what you're talking about before where you're running out of space to grow outwards in your town or city mm-hmm. the only way to really go is in and up right so i mean that's where a lot of this development is going to come in and affect that and if you, if you want, don't want people living in tents and backyards you're mm-hmm. going to need to create more affordable housing i mean it's kind of long and short of it right yeah yeah it's one of those things you know except for I always feel like we're five steps away from like the tiny home village <laughs> in somebody's hey, driveway. A couple in Denver, so yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, or Katya's sister will move into one. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, out of the driveway, right? Um, All right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll probably be my brother. Yeah, so. see, so we all know somebody. Um, oh. But yeah, that, that's kind of my question. With that, was like, where do you see development going in your city? Or are you creating more? public transit friendly living environments we and are. stuff like that we certainly are and i've been a big advocate of trying to strike that balance and just advocating that we don't have to choose you know i think you know i think we could do both i think there's opportunity there's places where it makes sense to have that kind of uh you know development and there's places that you know make sense to keep it you know how it is yeah, we're working a lot on that, and and we're trying to just address the pain points, you know, because I don't think I don't think people uh, are naturally concerned about you know density or naturally concerned about you know too many people. I don't think that's the thing. You know, when you drive down the street, I don't know how many times I've you know turned and looked at a building and said, "Wow, it's just too many people." In there. <laughs> I don't think that's the issue. You know, I think aesthetics are issues. I think traffic is an issue. I think there's a lot of those type of things that we see, at least in this country, that are the the heart of the real issue. But but with aesthetics and traffic, usually density is part of the issue with that, isn't it? Well, I mean, it can be a plus and minus. It depends yeah. on how you do it. You know, I recently was meeting with uh, some people who were talking about building a building, and you know, the, the first thing I asked them was, "Is this thing self-contained?" Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and so there's a way to do that. And you know, if you're if you're building a certain way. Um, or if you're building sort of local economies, you know, you can have a sort of world where people don't have to drive to go get their groceries or drive to go to their neighborhood, you know, restaurant or bar or whatever. And that, you know, reduces the traffic. Well, that goes to like, do you have many food deserts in your area, places where people can't have that sort of luxury of walking to wherever they want to get their groceries? Oh, yeah. I mean, I live in one. You live in one. There you go, right there. <laughs> I live in one. I mean, we have all the best issues in my ward <laughs> that I enjoy uh, tackling. I'm I'm glad I I don't live in other parts of the cities where they have to deal with some of the other issues. Uh, granted, we're a city and you know we're one unit and you try to address all the different problems. But at the same time, a lot of my focus has been on you know I think sort of the sweet spot of you know where I want to spend my focus on, mm-hmm. which is addressing things like affordability, addressing things like sort of balancing the the cultures that exist, <laughs> you know. Uh, balancing the development that's occurring. Like what was there, what's coming in, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know I'm part of the sort of new face of Lakewood in a lot of ways. Uh, my fiance and I are you know new newer residents. Uh, we're younger than sort of the median age in the neighborhoods. We live in a multifamily 
you know, higher density dwelling. <laughs> Uh, so you're doing exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I, happen, yeah. Yeah. So I think we represent a lot of the, <laughs> you know, a lot of the, the points that people are, you know, maybe concerned about. Tried to say, you know, it's okay, and you know, we can work together, and you know, it's incumbent on new people, I think, to you know, be cognizant of the past, but it's also incumbent on the past to understand and be open to the future. So I think we have to figure out that balance. But I think, you know. I think that's where we have to be. <laughs> you know, I completely agree, and I think that's one area that Denver is sort of lacking, the idea of it. No, old, not no. The new As somebody who's from Denver, yeah. I would like it to go back to uh, 2005, and I would like a wall. Um, <laughs> mines would be cheaper than Trump's. <laughs> well, you're only talking about a wall around the city or state, so it's way cheaper than the whole border. Exactly. Country, so. You know, just uh, I'm making Colorado. Um, great <laughs> no, no, it wasn't great, but uh, this is our former. <laughs> he, he used to be a Republican, so yeah, we've I, reformed him. But oh, okay, no, I never think of anything in the past as being great. But however, I don't think that the future is always great either. <laughs> say Especially depends. when it doesn't include me in it, right? Like yeah. that's the part of I think that's the main pain point for these things is people don't see themselves included in in the future, yeah. and sometimes they're not. <laughs> Oh, it's true. We were talking about it before the podcast, actually, is all the new people moving in for the higher education jobs that are needed. We mm-hmm. don't have higher education opportunities here for a lot of the people that grow up here, and it pushes those people out. Yeah, I agree. That was like Eris's words verbatim, actually. I should let him say it. No, those actually are <laughs> perfect. Um, it's a mo- co- more coherent summary than I can ever recap of any <laughs> conversation I've ever had. <laughs> uh, I do have a couple questions about Perlmutter, though, and your feelings on him, if you're willing to delve into those. Sure, why not? All right. How do you feel about him running for governor and then stepping down and then stepping on all the toes of the people that were trying to run for his seat in the first place? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, you know, I'm of a sort of different mind of politics these days. I think I wouldn't even characterize it as stepping on the toes in a certain sense because I think – and, yeah, this probably just could be in a lot of trouble, but <laughs> I think uh, – well, I think, you know, look at, look at uh, oh. Alexandria – Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah, yeah, Cortez. Cortez. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, no, you're good. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at that. I mean, she, uh, I think she shook up the sort of political powers that be, and and you know, you could have had the same thing out in out in Jefferson County if you wanted. So people are, uh, you know, there's an election every two years, so people are welcome to run (laughs) whenever they're ready. (laughs) You know, I I don't know that as Democrats, a lot of us are particularly good at primary challenges and things like that but you know maybe in the same way that you're seeing sort of cultural shifts and like local politics and cities like Lakewood you know maybe you're seeing that with political parties and in the way we uh, do elections and you know maybe maybe New York was the first shoe to drop but you know maybe that'll be a norm well, in the future and actually o- Ocasio-Cortez is the reason I wanted to talk about Diana to get a little bit later so yeah. we'll get to that later though <laughs> all right yeah so I I think if that's what Ed wanted to do, then he's welcome and was welcome to do, you know, well, what I mean, he did. He and did it, it and it's, it worked out fine for him, I guess. So. Worked out fine for him. And I think there's a lot of ripple effects, obviously, that it impacted other people and their plans. Mm-hmm. And that's that's too bad. I'm thinking of people like, was it Andy Kerr and Brittany Pedersen was it too? Yeah, Andy Kerr, Brittany Pedersen, Dominic Marino. Dominic Marino was also running for that too. And Dominic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Dominic if you're listening. <laughs> Uh, but I, I, you know, I just thought, you know, he stepped up for something that he looked like he was a good front runner for, and then sort of secretively backed out and took away an opportunity that a few people were trying for. And um, I only asked because you're in the area and you might have heard mumblings or grumblings. Or no, something. I don't know. It's all speculation. Like yeah. for me, I, I, I don't even, I haven't even really asked those questions. I just, you know, I see it as, yeah, I think he would have been probably a really good choice for governor, and I'm sure he has other sort of goals or ideas in mind now that you know he should consider running for um <laughs> are we talking about senate uh well you know i don't know uh who yeah. somebody threw their name in against cory gardner already didn't they did i thought i heard like just recently within the last couple andrew days. romanoff just did obviously That's, okay, um, <laughs> we're, okay. we're talking about him earlier weren't we? yeah we were <laughs> we were so and then the other thing i wanted to ask you about Perlmutter is has, has there been any anger or anything about him Starting off saying he wasn't going to vote for Pelosi as speaker, and then now he is. Is there any people that didn't like that? 
I haven't heard that. No. Okay. Um, I didn't think so, but I thought I'd ask. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't heard that. I've actually, in fact, I I've only really heard some people say, "Well, why is he going against Pelosi?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it's the other way around, <laughs> which is interesting. And you know, and I don't know what the sort of the broader electorate has to say about that or their thoughts on that. But obviously, some of us who are involved in in politics or whatever we get stuck in our little bubbles, mm-hmm. and we sort of hear a little bit of a feedback loop on some of this stuff. So I'm not sure. And it is, it's kind of interesting that uh, that's an issue he tackled. The only thing I have like with the whole national level stuff is, can we put an age limit on who can serve in leadership? <laughs> so you're taking me right into my next topic I want to talk about, which is Diana DeGette. Talk about age and leadership. She's been She's 61 now. She's been in there for over 20 years. She was elected in 1997. Or 1997 was her first year. She was elected in 1996. She's been in Congress a long time. We talked about Ocasio-Cortez a minute ago. Mm-hmm. The reason I wanted to talk about Diane DeGette is because of people like Ocasio-Cortez that are going against the grain of the normal system of, you know, we have an established Democrat in there in a safe seat, and we're just going to ride with it. Well, we're not taking it anymore. Younger people are fed up with it. We're tired of not being listened to. We're tired of getting the shorthand. And I feel like people like Diana DeGette just sort of sit there and ride it out because they're in a safe seat and haven't really gotten a good opponent. What would it take to replace her? My first thought was money, which was like a bad yeah, place to go. <laughs> like, she's got plenty of it. Like It's going to take more than money. I think it's going to take attitude, and it's going to take somebody who's younger that can unite the party better than she can. Yeah, I think... And money. <laughs> and money. Always money. Uh, yeah, I think... I think there's something that exists on the national level or state national and state level that that doesn't exist more on the the state legislature or you know local level politics and that is like viral media and things like that can actually work. You know, one of the reasons you need money, we always say money is a good determinant a lot of times in elections and who's going to win, but that's because money buys exposure. You know, money buys some face time with people to get in front of them and and you know, make your pitch and address the pain points that the community has and share your vision for the future. But, you know, on a national level campaign or uh, a statewide uh, level campaign, you know, I think it's it's more likely that you could have, like, media, YouTube, Facebook, you know, Tumblr, whatever. Tumblr, look at me. I'm <laughs> uh, they still use that one? Instagram. I always call it Instagram Tumblr. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Snapchats. I'm just going to throw that out there since I'm already sounding a little. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. That's why I said that. But, I mean, okay, so so we go back to the money part and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. The thing that people said put her over the edge was she did a commercial. She She put her face out there in a very honest way and just sort of told people what she wanted to do and what she was about. And people feel like that's what swung it sort of her way is her ability to she raised enough money to put it together to get the commercial that would get out there enough. I think that's one. Uh, I think that's one major reason. Mm-hmm. I also think that I think she looks more like her community. Well, that is a very good point too. And <laughs> I, I mean, that goes to the question of Di- does Diana to get look and represent her community like that? Because it's all of Denver, which we know is, you know, a large majority of it is or not a large portion mm-hmm. is uh, Latino or Hispanic. Again, I'm not in that. I'm not in the good minority, right? I'm in the one that <laughs> is the least represented, and yeah. I'm not ever going to expect a black person to take that seat, even though Casper you know. tries. Hancock. Hank. I, 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 Wait, I know it, you have bigger. I thought Lizzie Harold was already won. <laughs> well, she she <laughs> she hasn't won Congress. She's just in the state house, but. But who Wait. knows eventually, yeah. I mean, I'm sure she has her eye on higher seating. So, I mean, the one that goes to the question, is Leslie Harrod a good person to take that seat and represent the district? She's a very outspoken person. Yeah. She I, has some good ideas. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know. I've never talked to her, anybody who would know uh, from her about it. But my understanding is that she's in that realm of eyeing it slash to get might be in that realm of helping facilitate that i don't know do you think diana gets getting to a point where she might want to try to retire or something like that and looking at who might replace her and <clears throat> i don't sort know of a, a party handoff if it would be i think that's kind of how it, kind of how it worked out for her right with pat striker well, that's what it sounded yeah that's what it sounded like i is. i imagine she's going to support a woman to yeah. to be in that seat no matter I what guess a woman of color that's also lgbt be a good one i guess 
I support anybody who um, <laughs> can understand the internet when they are, you Internets. know, doing interview with interviews with Facebook or any of the tech giants, because that should be a thing. I'd also just support anybody who seems moderately competent, because well, there's so many people who are moderately competent. <laughs> we talk about moderately competent. I mean, I, I was telling Eris before the podcast, like, I'll admit it, I'm a gun owner. But, um, you know, I, I was reading over some stuff that Diana DeGette was saying about guns and stuff. She was talking about trying to eliminate all semi-automatic weapons or talking about magazine limits because it means there will be less bullets in the world or something. Where they're shot, you can't use them again. But it didn't make sense. And I want to make sure that whoever's in there when they talk about something is going to be intelligent about it. And, I mean, that's just one topic that I think Diana missed, but I'm sure there's more and you think Leslie would be a good person that could cover a lot of topics like that in an intelligible way that and the internet is a big one she'd probably understand that a little bit better (laughs) so well I do think there is an upside obviously you can have a lot of these same problems with anyone of any age (laughs) yeah Um, there is an upside to having someone who probably is a little bit more on the ground with some of those issues and uh, hasn't been around as long I mean at what point is it okay to say just I don't know or we're looking into it is that not an acceptable answer anymore? I don't know. <laughs> I'll look into it. See, I accept that answer. <laughs> I like that. I, I prefer it. Like, if you really don't know or you just, you know, you haven't delved into a topic, be willing to say that. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Leslie is a good leader. I'll put that out there. You know, I don't know all the specifics of what she's done in the legislature, but I've seen her involvement with the community and, and the way that she's approached sort of campaigning and and you know public outreach and i've i've seen that as like she's part of that sort of new wave of leaders who brand themselves pretty well well we talked about the safe injection site she was definitely behind that one which i can get behind too oh yeah good I point mean, so i mean I, I know she has some good policies that she's put forward and stuff like that so i'm not saying she's a terrible person for it i just don't know if she's the best one i don't know that, that'll be dealt with in the primary probably though, won't it? <laughs> yeah i mean that's you know, it'd be a good place for a lot of these issues to come out and learn more about their platform. Well, and I guess my biggest thing for whoever is going to take Diana to get spot is the idea of being present. Mm-hmm. The idea of having town halls, being with your constituents. Like I've been on the board of DYD for a couple of years now. And the only time I've really seen Diana to get is in passing at very large events or uh, sort of parades and stuff like that. But that's part of the problem with safe seats. You don't have to do all of that. You don't have to hit the ground. You don't have to stay in touch with the community you represent. doesn't mean you shouldn't. It doesn't mean you shouldn't. <laughs> but, you know, when you're safe, some people just choose to do what they want to do. I am, like, not encouraged by the fact that we have so many safe seats um, starting to grow in Colorado mm-hmm. where we wait for this process of uh, the next person in line to take them over. <laughs> and, yeah. I don't know, it feels, it feels problematic to me. Because that's how you get the hive mind and collective thinking that leads to politicians just being the same version of themselves. You don't like the echo chamber? No, I don't like the echo chamber. (laughs) I'm always waiting for us to get to that point where uh, we're in Futurama with the Nixon episode. And it's the two clones of each other representing the Republican and Democratic Party just going, (laughs) I believe that my person believes in gun control and he is a fine man. And then repeating it back to each other. (laughs) I do want to see someone uh, just generally in elected office who is involved and plugged into the community. There is an upside to having a safer seat, which is obviously a certain amount of continuity, but also people like her are in leadership roles in Congress because they, they're able to spend more time doing that and less time, you know, calling, trying to raise the million dollars every year or whatever. So there, there's that as an upside. But what I would say is, what I want is a leader who's willing to lose their seat because they take hard positions on things. Be the vanguard of the The party. right thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess that's the kind of stuff I want to see is people willing to, to go for what they think is the right thing. The, the main point of their job is to represent their constituency and what their constituency thinks is the right thing. Right. Well, I mean, sometimes you have to make tough choices in leadership yeah. that uh, you do things because... Um, existentially, <laughs> they're the right you thing. You know, they're the right thing in the long run, even if it looks tough yeah. right now. You know, it saves lives, or yeah. that you know, it'll grow the economy in a way that will benefit, you know, 
the the majority and not just some narrow some narrow special interest and that's the thing is like too often in our politics we have to play to narrow special interests to get elected yeah. you know and sometimes you have to make a tough choice like sometimes you have to do things that aren't you know popular and you know i think that's that's part of it and that's something you have to be willing to do no, I firmly agree with you. Um, we do have to cater to, like a lot of politicians have to cater to special interests. I will say that the special interest is me, um, <laughs> cater to me, and make that work. But <laughs> uh, Let's see how much they care about you whenever you come knocking. I mean, you know, if anybody wants to call me for a donation, I am more than willing to give it to you if you're going to answer questions while you're on the phone with me. How much of a donation? That's the question. You also, know, how tough are these questions? Yeah. Oh, I feel like the questions are uh, <laughs> far tougher than the ones that we're having here because yeah. I'm not being recorded. Right. <laughs> you never know. It's a one-party consent state. They can record you. Good that's, that's true. That's true. I don't have knowledge of them recording me. <laughs> but um, catering to narrow special interests is a problem. However, um, sometimes we also just decide narrow special, special interests are, you know, brown people. <laughs> so well, we're talking about special interests and i have a very special interest that i'd actually like to get to now uh i want to talk about full strength beer and just prohibition in general uh, but i'm going to start with the full strength beer coming to shelves january 1st every store you want to go to they're going to have it why did we not have this in the first why was it why was three two beer so important to keep around Jacob, I don't know. You know Does anybody that? know anybody who actually drank three two beer? No, I I knew to avoid it particularly. Like, don't go to the grocery store and buy your beer. I think it was because of special interest. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It was liquor stores and people trying to like, corner markets and stuff like that. And I mean, does it feed back into any sort of prohibition ideas or anything like that? I, I don't know. But I, all I know is that. Um, you know, I, I support the people who wanted to keep Colorado local. I think that there is a great uh, drive behind it. You know, we have a lot of breweries, and our liquor stores carry them. There is that danger of when you have the bigger uh, chain stores that will be carrying liquor, that some of the little guys will get pushed out and their products won't be carried. But at the same time, I think we have a strong enough community here to where we all know, well, if it's not at Target, it's not at Walmart, or it's not at Sam's Club, then we're going to go down to the road to yeah. the guy who's going to be carrying, you know, um, my favorite six-pack. Well, I think what feeds into that, too, is the idea of, well, it's changing with the new passage of this bill or law or whatever. It used to be every business could have one license for liquor, but now they can have five, if depending if they meet certain criteria. I mean, why do we keep limiting who can have these licenses and stuff like that? Like, are we not trying – are we trying to stall competition just to save the little guy, or what are we trying to do here? Like. I mean, I'm against prohibition in general. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think 18 and up, you should be able to do whatever you want, even sometimes below that probably. But uh, I mean, let's just be honest. Like, why, why are we telling people at 18 they can't drink until 21 or smoke weed until 21? And why in some places in the country can you not even have weed in general? Like, Yeah, man. <laughs> what are your feelings about prohibition, Jacob? You know, I'm open to people doing things that, you know, don't impact other people. Yeah. So I think if you're doing things in – you know, safe, you know, manner at your home. Like, you know, we shouldn't be spending a whole lot of time uh, figuring out a way to, to regulate that. At the same time, you know, if we know scientifically there are things that people are going to have a hard time controlling and that are going to, you know, have a major impact on their lives, then obviously I think, you know, we got to take a look at that and, and, you know, try to make... But at what point is it try the to make a judgment. choice? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think ultimately what we've seen is that... Uh, individuals do make that choice at the end of the day, mm -hmm. but at the same Regardless time, regardless of the law, at that point too, right? Yeah. Uh, at the same time, like you know, I think we have to just use the tools available to you know try to limit the exposure and impact to things that are that are harmful, and that's what we try to do when we think about pesticides, and that's what we try to do when we think about you know a whole host and list of you know things that are harmful to humans. You know, we try to use the the evidence that's there and and try to use that to to shape you know a society where you know we can minimize harmful impacts to people keeping people from drinking and smoking until 21 limit a lot of things like is it just because teenagers are crazy and reckless and they'll drive whenever they get drunk or well i'm not particularly concerned about liquor or weed i'm, I'm talking about harder stuff yeah. <laughs> i'm talking about things that are you know super 
super addictive and harmful and you know wreck people's lives i i don't think you but at what point is it the government's job to tell them they can't use that i think that's always the shifting debate (laughs) you know i think i i think that's an endless an endless conversation that sort of ebbs and flows and in our society but you know i'm always open to hearing and learning new uh you know new ways of doing things and if Mm -hmm. if if we have you know examples or or evidence to suggest that other other approaches do it man other countries the 18 they sell you whatever you want i mean even like i think portugal went and decriminalized a lot of drugs to make it to where you know just plain users don't get thrown in jail they can actually get treatment they need prohibition here in this country has turned us into a mass incarceration state we lock up more people not per capita just more people than china and russia Mm -hmm. and i think it's combined too yeah because of this kind of stuff i will add that I think that's two separate conversations, whether it's, you know, uh, how we, you know, how we prosecute people and where they end up going as a result, whether it's treatment or prison. (laughs) I think we obviously do that wrong and it's very clear in this country, but you know, whether we want to make it more accessible to get sort of hard drugs, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying more accessible. I'm just necessarily saying like, don't criminalize it. No. Yeah. Well, that's like, I mean, you, you, you don't have to make it legal. But you don't have to throw a bunch of people in jail for it, is what I'm saying. Right. Well, that seems like a no-brainer. Right. <laughs> you would think, but we, we still sit here with a DEA and all kinds of stuff like that, so. That's true. Yeah. And you have no control over that. I know that. So. <laughs> it's okay. Yet. Yet, right? Hey, I have some control over that, right? We're, we're all voters, and we all, that is we true. all have a... Uh, yeah. In this conversation, I mean, that's why I'm here. That's why I think you're doing this. Mm-hmm. I suspect is because these are the kind of conversations that people need to have. And, um, yeah. and you know, I don't pretend to be an expert on all the different subjects that exist, but I, I do know if I, you know, learn from you and your experiences in other countries, uh, you know, maybe you know I'll have a new perspective on something, um, and, and you know, vice here. versa. Yeah. I understand that we have like a fun, we have a bunch of stuff on like binge drinking and all that stuff that 18 year olds do, but that's not interesting. <laughs> like it's just not. <laughs> yeah, I will, I will add that, uh, you know, it's funny when, when I think I, I look back to when I was like 18, I was like, man, like, I don't understand why I can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't drink. Well, I still did. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, legally. <laughs> 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 then you get, then you get older and you're around 18 year olds. You're like, yeah, okay. That makes sense. Right. <laughs> oh. Well, and I grew up in the military too. So I spent a lot of time around soldiers and you know, a lot of them when they're here, they couldn't drink, but they go overseas to their station and they'd be drinking. It was just really bizarre to me to see these same people in two different locations having two different sets of rules. Yeah, I mean, so I had that experience, too. Uh, my family's from Texas. Yeah. So when you go to Texas, <laughs> not, all the, too, not yeah. all the rules apply. No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's Texas, though. That's a, that's a whole different beast here. Yeah. It's like a whole other country. Oh. Actually, okay, <laughs> we, were just talking, we talked about that. They used to be a different country, and because of that, they're the only state that's allowed to fly their flag as high as the U.S. flag. Is that true? I don't know I'm if no, that's true. I'm pretty sure it's true. Or is that just something they do in Texas? They're the, like, yeah, they're like, fuck it, no flag like, <laughs> no. So one of the things they did when they built the Texas Capitol was they purposefully made the dome higher than Congress. And they, it's, that's the truth. Everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh. awesome. Well, talking about things being higher and taller, I guess we can move into our last topic we were talking about here was the Colorado Convention Center expansion and the collusion that was behind that and the issues that just came up. I don't know if you know much about it right now, but I can give you a couple of facts real quick. I don't know anything about it. Okay, so let's <laughs> do a couple of facts here. Um, they were going to be building a new ballroom and terrace on top of the existing building. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is bringing and back some supposed, memories. They were, supposed to bring back, they were supposed to put in some newer technology and throughout the entire building and stuff like that. They hired this company. Oh, Trammel Crow. It's a development company. They were hired 10 months ago, and uh, it was projected that $47 million will be made off the new expansion, and they were looking for contractors to bid somewhere in the neighborhood of $200 million to construct it. They were promised $9.3 million for doing that, for shepherding the whole project through. They collected already a million dollars from the city, or a million dollars for the project, uh, and then it came out just, I think this week, that they were colluding with another company called Mortensen Construction, to help them to win the bid over others and they were fired 
Now the city's an issue where they can either go with one of the other two top people that were picked for the project. There was three picked. Mortensen was one of them. They can either go with the other two or restart the whole process knowing that a couple people will have an advantage because they've already been through the whole thing and ready to go and they'll they'll be more apt to be able to get the project over others. So it's either pick from the two, not knowing whether they're tainted or not, or go back and start over, knowing that these two will have an advantage, which will taint it in the, doing it again. So knowing that, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the handling of that? Do you have anything that handles like that in Lakewood? Um, I don't. I don't know enough about it. Fair enough, but I do have a question for you since you um, are on the city council in Lakewood. What does Lakewood do as far as oversight of construction development and um, bidding? Right now, I'd say not a whole lot. I mean, we have oversight in the sense that, you know, we have good leadership in the management level. I think we have good directors, and obviously we have laws and things in place, you know, that we hope are a safeguard to, you know, people doing things inappropriately. But to be frank, we don't have a, you know, an oversight committee um, that's spending a whole lot of time, you know, on this issue. But I think historically, there hasn't been a whole lot of issues that have arose. And I think a lot of times, you do see those things being instituted after (laughs) some sort of problem occurs, you know, I mean, have any like major government construction projects going on there? um, You know, we don't, I mean, we're still it's still a little bit of a smaller, sleepy town, but yeah. <laughs> but so you focus more on like commercial growing and stuff like that, like independent people, not necessarily government buildings, but right, like private buildings. Yeah, exactly. Do you guys do any sort of oversight on stuff like that, or that's all just their business? Well, I mean, you know, you have the typical, you know, inspections and mm-hmm. and the building codes and all that sort of stuff. So oversight in that sense. Yeah, I didn't think you'd have much to say about that one. Honestly, I just wanted to sort of bring it up because. That's a pretty messed up situation that's going on there. And, and well, it speaks to an issue in Denver where you do have a major city that is responsible for some big projects in the case of our convention center um, and some of the other things like the airport uh, a while back and talking about transparency mm. and whether or not you are giving up power by letting a private entity in the, pr- in the public-private partnership um, handle the allocation of bids for construction projects um, that are worth a lot of money to the city. Well, you said DIA too. They're redoing the entire security there now, and that's a big project. Yeah, that will. Well, be if you remember, they redid every single concrete panel at the airport because the first contractor they hired put too much water content in the <laughs> concrete, and the city didn't do good enough inspections of it. Even though there is government inspections, but they didn't do a good enough job. And at the end of the airport, after it was complete, they had to go back and replace 2,000 panels. I think they cost about 100 grand a piece. And uh, that's part of the reason why the gate fees in Denver are higher than a lot of other places in the country, because they've had to do a lot of that reconstruction. Well, that might have hindered a lot of travel growth then, huh? Yeah, possibly. I mean, I know that there's always travel growth here. Like, they keep talking about expanding flights and stuff, but could it have happened quicker if they didn't have that? I, you know, I'm not an expert on <laughs> on <laughs> no, airport hubs. There, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, why not? That sounds, that sounds reasonable, like right? that's a reasonable thing. Uh, and, um, well, and, you know, I mean, a fee is um, has the same effect a lot of times that a tax has uh, or can mm-hmm. have. Obviously, if it's higher, it's a more expensive market to break into in Denver, then, you know, why would that be? That might not be your first pick if, you know, fees are lower in a place that maybe has a bigger market share anyway, like, mm-hmm. you know, like Seattle Dallas or, or Dia- yeah. Dallas or yeah. or wherever. I just, as <laughs> long as they have keep the blue horse. Lucifer, whenever. Oh, very happy with that horse. <laughs> but isn't there supposed to be, like, uh, secret paintings or something in there for, like, secret tunnels and stuff? or? I don't know. You know, that's what people say. I, I've been in All some the tunnels there, yeah. and I've yet to see something I thought was that interesting. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there supposed to be, like, one painting that's, like, reminiscent of, like, a Nazi era thing or something? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's on public display. That's, yeah. It's pretty uh, pretty out in the open. You can go check it out. Is it, I've been in there a bunch of times. I've never seen it. Where is it at? Uh, I don't remember specifically. Like, either. I don't but it, it is in the it's yeah. in the main terminal. I can yeah. tell you that. I remember hearing that. It's in the main terminal, but I don't know where. I think it's in the middle. Well, I'm not sure I'm which I'm going to go there like an, hour, like an extra <laughs> hour early next time and just look for it. 
Yeah, no. no. I have better <laughs> things to do before my flight to Sioux Falls next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm flying to Texas next week, and I'm you'll have more fun than I will. Probably, maybe, hopefully. <laughs> Go there. I mean, they have uh, you know they have good breakfast now, so yeah. Well, soon enough, the way they're setting up the security, you won't be able to really go to much of that, will you? I don't know. I thought they were... Uh, I thought it was the security's going to be on the sixth floor now, and then the fifth floor was going to be the the open area after security. Yeah, they're going to make the... Well, yeah, but if you're traveling, then you can go. But yeah, but if you're not traveling or something, you can't just go hang out there like you could now. Yeah. Hmm. I, I don't know. I don't I'm know. still always confused <laughs> by the people who go to airports to shop. That one's always yeah. been like a thing to me. <laughs> you never gone duty-free? Like duty free <laughs> makes perfect sense, right? I, I can't yeah. get something here. I don't have to pay tax. That's fine. But yeah. like, I, you just see people who are there just shopping in non duty free sections, and oh, I've I'm never seen like, that. That's crazy. Oh no, I've seen people who go out to DIA to buy his stuff and then go back home. Like, not, you know, that's like, crazy. Okay, well, I think that's about all we got for the day. We can wrap up with final thoughts. Uh, Eris, do you have one you want to go first with? I mean, where's your fuck you going today, man? This is really conflicting to me because <laughs> I have so many fuck yous this week. So many. But the main one goes to PETA. Fuck you, PETA. All right? Me saying that don't beat a dead horse is not the same as somebody beating a horse. And to change language simply to uh, be better at making references that shouldn't offend animals is stupid. <laughs> I'm tired of you on National Chicken Wing Day telling me not to eat chicken wings. That's not what it's for. You're not better than everybody else just because you're a vegan. Some people want meat. It's fine. So, PETA, you do good things. Sometimes. Other times you just annoy the shit out of all of us. So, fuck you. Okay, and my final thought for the day is I want to talk about the sealing and expunging of criminal records for people with nonviolent drug offenses, in particular for marijuana. Uh, I know Denver and Boulder has really started lately to combat that and you know help people out that have records now for crimes that are technically legal in the present sense i think it's a great idea because these criminal penalties and stuff linger they hurt people's futures and finding housing jobs education and honestly it goes to the whole prohibition idea that we were talking about before and how i don't believe that prohibition really helps anybody legislating your your moral code does not help somebody else succeed in life just because they like to use a certain product or something like that and you want to take away every opportunity they may have in the future i feel like that hinders society it destroys a lot of communities creates the largest prison population in the world and it's just something that we need to revisit as americans to decide whether we want to represent ourselves that way so that's my final thought for the week do you have one jacob well i'll just say first of all thanks for inviting me uh, thank you for coming yeah. it's been a good experience and uh you know learning a lot so appreciate <laughs> yeah it's educational so appreciate it i would just say actually you know what i'm gonna just sort of go on to the title of your of your uh podcast politically pissed <laughs> i think as as politically pissed as i can be i just want to leave with i guess maybe a positive message which i do have to say i i'm I think it's good living in a country like the one we live in, where I do feel like, you know, we saw a bit of a political revolution, I think, happen in November and, you know, happened, you know, mostly nonviolently. And I know for some of us, we won't be watching very closely and we might not feel the immediate impacts. But I think for some of us who are watching closely, we know what this change means and opening up doors. And it's opening up new possibilities uh, here in the state of Colorado, but also nationally. And I think there's a lot of uh, good opportunity that we all have. And I think if we keep these kind of conversations going and learn from other people's experiences and continue to uh, explore new ideas, I think uh, we'll have less reason to be pissed and more reason to be excited. So anyway, thanks. Let's hope so. Yeah. All right. You're the host. Well, <laughs> well, that's it for Politically Pissed. We thank you for joining us this week. Uh, you guys want to say bye real quick? Easy, y'all. Bye. <laughs> thanks, yeah, thanks, for thanks for joining. Have a great night. And we'll see you next year.
We solid and we don't need to kick them. This is no southeast and western. Yeah, guns close.